You're listening to DraftKings Network. What do you need, a pen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say I have one, but you can't do it through. Wow. I look disheveled like someone in a movie just had sex. Like, what? <laughs> Welcome to Oddball. I'm Amin Hassan. That over there is Charlotte Wilder. Got a heck of a show for you guys today. A little bit later, we're going to be joined by Roland Lazenby. He wrote a book, Magic, The Life of Urban Magic Johnson. He's written a lot of books, and he's got a lot of thoughts, and we get into some real deep conversations about Lakers, about Magic, and beyond. But first, the headlines. It's time for some news, Amin. That's right. I'm going to start us off by telling you all that the L.A. Clippers haven't won a game since James Harden joined the team. They are now 0-4 with Harden. And on Sunday, they lost to the Grizzlies, one of the worst teams in the league. Coach Ty Lue said Harden needs to be attacking more. He's being too polite, Lou said. Ah! I'm pretty sure this is the first time in NBA history that anyone has said this about James Harden. But I also didn't look it up, so tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, Harden even did this amazing move where he touched the bottom of his shoe before airballing a three. And it just makes you think. He said he was the system, right? And most -hmm. of the systems in America are broken, so maybe he wasn't lying. Ouch. (laughs) Put him on the list. (laughs) A political joke for you all. Lou also said that the team had a meeting where they all understood that they needed to let Harden be himself. Quote, I think the whole group hearing that and understanding that, listen, we're going to play through James. He's going to run pick and rolls. He's going to make plays. They understood that. It's interesting that Lou said everyone understood, given that Russell Westbrook, when being subbed out of the game with two minutes left against the Grizzlies, pointed to himself and said, me? And then shook his head and said, nah, as he headed to the bench. Yeah, I think they all totally got the memo, Ty. Despite 38 points from Steph Curry, the Warriors fell 116 to 110 to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who were led by an agitated Anthony Edwards. Many are pointing fingers at Draymond Green for poking the bear that is Ant-Man after Green fouled Edwards with 525 left in the fourth and said, what are you going to do about it? Mm. What Ant did do about it was score eight points in one minute, 12 seconds, and led the Wolves to a 116-110 win over the Warriors at Chase Arena. It's like a real-life Dennis the Menace. The old man yells at the kid to get off his lawn, and then the kid comes back and sets the lawn on fire. I just think, like, historically, people have said, don't poke the bear, but Mm -hmm. if anyone's earned the right to poke the bear, don't you think it's Draymond? Like, he's out there poking people like a freshman in college using Facebook in 2004. This, This dude is Pokemon, I mean. Only in Jamaica. (laughs) There is, however, a silver lining behind that rain cloud that was the Warriors' loss. Steph scored those 38 points, and at 35, he became the oldest player in NBA history to average 30 points a game through the first 10 games of the season. Pretty remarkable, right? When reached for comment, Oscar Robertson said, That's nothing. I remember when Bucky Buckerson averaged a whole straw penny in his first seven innings at halfback the hour. Y'all don't remember, but Pepperidge Farm remembers. French toast, please. That's a direct Straw penny? Straw penny. 
Got to Google that. Sticking with old men creating history, LeBron James became the first player in NBA history to reach 5,000 turnovers. Really got to hand it to LeBron. He's going to rewrite the history books one way or another. Uh, except, I guess, this time he's the one who's handing it to everyone else, right? But, he, he, hey, it's a record. A record's a record. LeBron also became the first player to have 5,000 turnovers where none of them were his fault. It's true. Look it up. Kelly Oubre Jr. was hit by a car in Philadelphia on Saturday night. He avoided more serious injuries but will miss significant time due to broken ribs and bruises. The following day... Tyrese Maxey scored 50 points in the Sixers' 137-126 to win against the Pacers, and he dedicated the victory to Oubre. For the Sixers, this is a classic rom-com situation. You get dumped by the it girl, and then you realize that the, the one you love was right there in front of you all along. Tyrese Maxey just took off his glasses and let down his hair, folks. She's all that. Uh, that was uh, the movie. Yeah, it's, that's the movie. Yeah, okay. Uh, seriously, though, Maxi said of Ubre, love my dog, man. You know, I just met him, but I love him. And for some reason, I think that might be the cutest thing I've ever heard on an NBA broadcast. Oh, just met him, but I love him. It's so sweet. Speaking of cute, after a miserable start to their season, losing eight or nine games, Grizzlies coach Taylor Jenkins went on a postgame rant directed at the officials, saying that the officiating in their loss against the Jazz was, quote, atrocious. In response, the Reds used those same two words to describe the Grizzlies' season. After beginning the season 0-3, the Rockets extended their winning streak to six in a huge win Sunday night over the defending champion Denver Nuggets, 107-104. to The 6-3 Rockets have climbed up to the fourth slot in the Western Conference for the first time since 2020. The most annoying Dylan Brooks storyline is going to be if he keeps talking trash but, like, actually does it. Like, we have to take him seriously. Yeah, no, that that's a risk we're willing to take. I'm right like exhausted thinking about it. I mean, head coach Michael Malone agreed to a contract extension with the Denver Nuggets that will make him one of the highest paid coaches in all the league. Not to be confused, of course, with the highest paid coach in the Ugh. league. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a joke. Come on. Pop can take it. Besides, glaucoma. In a post-game press conference following the New Orleans Pelicans' 136-124 loss to the Dallas Mavericks, Zion Williamson expressed frustration with his role. Take a listen. I'm trying my best to buy it right now. Man, that dude is just hangry. I thought we were retiring these jokes. He's not. It's not a weight joke. He's, he's, he's in great shape, but that doesn't mean he doesn't miss it. Oh, he's talking about, oh, I'm trying to get with the program. What do you think the program is? You think it's, it's plays? No, it's plates. The Oklahoma City Thunder came into Phoenix Sunday night and secured a 111-99 victory behind 35 points and 7 rebounds from Shea Gilgis-Alexander. After the game, when asked about changing the perception that the Thunder are just a young team, Shea said, quote, I think it comes from everyone wanting the win. That's what it's all about. It's why we play the game. Wanting to win. How about that? Hey, Sam, I figured it out. All you have to do is flip that switch and make them want to win. Five years down the drain. Gosh. What a concept. Hmm. Here's a headline for you, Amin. Mm -hmm. Jordan Poole gets honest about difference between warriors and wizards. <laughs> hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. All right. Oh, hold on. Let me, 
Let me get a, a sip of water. All right. Are you ready? I'm all ears. I mean, we could just stop there because that's the joke, but I'm going to tell you what he said. <laughs> it's a bit different, too. Like, once your contract is signed and once you got a ring, especially everything that needed to be done in Golden State got done, Poole said via Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports. I got a ring, made sure my family is straight, a good situation mm-hmm. to come into Washington and just kind of have my own team play my own type of basketball. He sure is playing his own type of basketball, I mean. Yeah, we could sure put him on the not lying list. That's that's for certain right there. He's telling the truth. Telling the truth. Did you see this, Charlotte? Right? So from Sunday night against the Nets, some fan took video of the Wizards huddle, and you can read Poole's lips as he says, like, the most terrifying words in basketball. It's my team. I got this. Oh. <laughs> Oof. They're only, like, Three people in basketball you'd actually want to hear. More than More three. More than three, but not. He's he's mm, not in it. Terrifying. <laughs> Meanwhile, the only thing Kyle Kuzma's got is a hell of an outfit. Here's him showing up to the game, dressed in all leather. After the game, he went back down to Constitution Hall in D.C. and did 70 minutes of stand-up about his Aunt Bunny falling down the stairs. I mean, I just think it looks like he's auditioning for the next John Wick. All right, that's going to do it for headlines. Next up, our conversation with Roland Lazenby, the author of Magic, the life of Irvin Magic Johnson. Nailed it. Nailed it. Have you ever wondered if Chet Holmgren might be a descendant of Abraham Lincoln? Or if a UFC fighter could beat an alien in a fight? You might have not, and that's okay. But Shea Serrano and Jason Concepcion from the Six Trophies podcast have. If you love basketball and more importantly, if you love fun, you've got to listen to Six Trophies, where Shea and Jason serve up the biggest moments from around the NBA with their brand of unbridled joy, banter and pop culture side quests. Each week, they hand out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities, stuff like. The Denzel Washington in Training Day trophy, given out to the player or team having the best week around the NBA. Or the Lauren Hill you might win some dot dot dot, but you just lost one trophy for the team or player that just can't get it together. Plus a bunch more trophies for all the good, bad or just plain head scratching moments around the NBA. This playoff season, you'll want to make six trophies your go to companion podcast. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. You guys think the Timberwolves can beat the Nuggets? Anthony Edwards is plus 1,300 to win Finals MVP. Wow, that's putting the cart before the horse. And if your team isn't in the playoffs, you can wager on who's going to win in the draft lottery on May 12th. And if you're new to DraftKings, you've got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code ODDBALL. That's code O-D-D-B-A-L-L. For new customers to get 
150 smackaroos in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Our next guest is a best-selling author of more than five dozen nonfiction books, including the biographies of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and his latest, Magic, The Life of Irvin Magic Johnson, available now wherever you get your books. We welcome Roland Lazenby. And Roland, uh, I remember the first book of yours that I read was Blood on the Horns. And I was fascinated by the level of access and detail you got in being able to write something about a team that was very storied and, and pretty much was at the end of its run. How, you know, I'm never going to write a book, but for those of us who may want to write a book someday, I'm just going to nod in a certain direction. Maybe, maybe. How do you, how do you go about getting that kind of access? You know, um, I've I'd been working with that team four and a half, five years by then. Uh, I'd done a series of books. They were typical basketball books. I was hired by the Chicago Tribune Book Division. But I got really got to know people. First of all, I got to know Tex Winter, and he became a very good friend. And I really wanted to learn the triangle, so I was coaching youth basketball. And I could get him on the phone anytime I wanted, simply because... I, I was just running the triangle and teaching it to kids and I found it easy and Tex loved that. And, you know, we're, we just hit it off really well, but I also got to know a lot of other people. And as things got more complicated and actually from the very first interview I was supposed to do with Phil Jackson, he was going to give me five minutes I asked a, a really prepared and asked a really good question, and he sort of jumped at it like a, a big old fat bass hits a fly, you know. Or, <laughs> and I, I mean, I ended up with two hours with him. Used every tape in my bag. It was cassette tapes back then, and uh, he revealed this was in '94. Uh, he revealed to me how much he and Jerry Krause had come to a parting of the ways. They literally hated each other. And in the process, Phil told me some lies, but he told me a lot of truthful things. And I, I just had this knowledge uh, of things, and Tex was sort of loyal to both men. Mm -hmm. And so many of the Bulls' problems in that last dance season, finally, were about Phil and Jerry Krause and with Tex in the middle trying to sort of hold things together. And, of course, in the middle of all that was Michael and his fury with Jerry Krause. Because for years, Jerry Krause had sort of stupidly antagonized Michael. And it was just a fight for credit in a lot of ways, but there were other things that factored in. Scottie Pippen's money. And it just I just couldn't believe that it would end like it did. And I kept 
going through that season with them. And, you know, I'd gotten pretty good about picking my time to get one-on-ones. And I worked very hard to get one-on-ones with Michael. And then I didn't have to work as hard to do that with other people. But Michael was a real challenge. And I got those and I got a good book. Roland, when it came to the magic book, you have some exclusive interviews in there that are also super impressive. Were there any people in the process of reporting this where you had a similar experience to Phil Jackson? And I wonder, as time has gone on, are people less uh, or more reluctant to speak to you as as things can get spun out in headlines more these days uh, because of, you know, this sort of gossip attention economy we've got going on? Yes and no. Mm hmm. I, uh, I'm a really big context guy. I like to go deep into family background. I, I'm a big believer in culture, a big believer that basketball is a, a huge factor in cultural understanding. Um, and that in some ways, um, I was just trying to do an archaeology project with Magic. He was there in Lansing, Michigan in the 70s during the school busing crisis. And that had a deep impact on his family, particularly on his brother, Larry. And I had been a 24-year-old varsity head coach during that same period, not in Lansing. I was down in the Virginia mountains in Blacksburg. But I was fascinated with it because I knew the kids of that age, um, and I was just eager to document how black and white culture, after all these years of very sad and horrific racial history in this country, how those cultures started to come together over sport, and in this case, obviously, particularly basketball, and how they did it around this. I, you know, I've dealt with a lot of teenagers, 15-year-olds. The 15-year-old Magic Johnson I met through literally dozens and dozens of interviews with his coaches and Charles Tucker and the coach's family. And he's really one of the most impressive 15-year-olds probably God's ever put on this earth. What was what was most impressive about him? His tremendous emotional intelligence. His uh, and, and I mean, he he obviously had had things. He'd had reading difficulties in grade school, and he he had he had chosen to work at the advice of a teacher to overcome that. He had addiction problems, but he had an emotional intelligence that just flashed right and left. And to go with that, he had this integrity. He was. He was put on the spot by the school administration before he ever played a game of basketball at Everett High School. He was put on the spot to come in and solve problems that had been going on four to five years there. Nasty problems. Uh, white kids throwing rocks at the first uh, buses that arrived with black students, fights in the hallways. Um, you had some racial problems at Michigan State in the basketball program, and all of it just created this really bad mojo. Plus, in 1972, Irvin's brother was one of five black boys right before Christmas, the first group of black boys to, to play at Everett who were kicked off the basketball team and by, by the white coaches. 
And this had a, you can imagine the effect that would have uh, in the community. And um, the guy who was called in to sort of sort out this dismissal was Dr. Charles Tucker, who had been uh, a, a very good junior college basketball player, was in the process of getting his Ph.D. in psychology, but would go on not only to become Magic Johnson's youthful advisor and advise him for years, but would, uh, you know, become the advisor and agent to Isaiah Thomas, Mark Aguirre, uh, a whole array of figures over the years. And so it it was sort of a seminal moment in the culture because the, the people that Charles C- Tucker came to represent would be some of the most powerful in basketball. And Charles Tucker himself would be very powerful. How did you see that exhibited in Magic's life? You talk about how he had such an amazing emotional intelligence as he began to rise through, you know, pop culture, as you say, in in basketball, bridging this. How powerful did he become when it came to changing the way people looked at the NBA? Oh, he, he, he set the tone. You know, the NBA had been a troubled enterprise for decades. And for a pretty good while, the only way the NBA was selling tickets at any successful level was to pair games and, and, and have double headers with the Harlem Globetrotters. And fans would come to see that great fun. But the NBA was a lower rung American sport. There's just no two, two ways about it. It, it mm-hmm. was. Uh, it had a core of really good fans, but just not enough of them. And um, that persisted through integration and into the 60s. You know, the Celtics with Bill Russell would win those 11 NBA championships, an absolutely amazing run, and they, yet they would never sell out their home opener each each fall the next year. Of course, today – the fan base is global. It's deep. Basketball has some problems, obviously, still. But the figures who really came along and delivered American basketball, guys like Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Larry Bird, these are global figures. And and in particular, in terms of the black males, this is not a political black power. When you speak of black power, traditionally, we think of that as political power in this country. But uh, another thing I was looking at was the empowerment of black males around the busing crisis in the 70s. And it was fascinating stuff. Uh, It also, of course, is about the acquisition uh, of power by a figure such as Magic Johnson, who is rising in basketball. He he forms this great relationship with this new owner of the Lakers, this playboy, Jerry Buss. And they basically are playboy friends. Uh, Jerry Buss in his 40s, Magic in his uh, late teens, and th- they're just – living it up in L.A., and this begins to cause very serious uh, 
chemistry problems with the Lakers. Uh, and I think that's significant because the Lakers in their great Showtime teams had a fair amount of chemistry issues to overcome because Magic got all of this power. I need to add one thing to that. Magic's personal integrity, he had some issues as things went on. All humans do. But as a teen, he really, he was given this power by the administration to solve problems, but that never corrupted him. He would hold out for Mm. concessions, for black students in this integrated setting, uh, w- when problems got uh, tough his junior year, he just called his own assembly and called the school out to the football stadium, which uh, the same principal who empowered him freaked out over this. What, what's this kid doing calling a, an assembly? And Magic got everybody out there and said, look, we got to get along. We, you know, we, we got games to win. We, we can't be having these issues. And it was more sort of a a pep rally for unity, but the school officials were scared to death that Mm. it was going to create, you know, that could have exploded easily. In situation after situation, he just delivered and he did it without, I mean, there's no sign. He had plenty of confidence, but he never, ever got the big head and, you know, tried to abuse that power. Thinking about all the content that's come out over the last few years surrounding the Showtime Lakers and really Magic Johnson. You got Magic's got his own multi-part documentary on Apple. You have the Lakers had their multi-part docuseries on Hulu. You had obviously Winning Time, the fictionalized TV show that was based on Jeff Perlman's book about Showtime. None of these pieces of content did I ever hear that part about Magic having that kind of power, wielding that kind of power as a teenager. And I'm particularly surprised that his own documentary wouldn't even bring up something like that, which I would feel would be a seminal moment for someone to think about. That was a moment I realized, wow, my voice is a lot louder and goes a lot further than your average star, uh, you know, of the football team or the basketball team, whatever. How is magic's relationship with, with that power dynamic? Do you think? I think it's why we see in Forbes today that he's a billionaire. Um, He's still chasing Michael, and that is a dynamic that drives a lot of this. Michael's got $3 billion, Magic's got a billion, and, you know, those two are still going at it. And they, they're friends, but there there is a heavy competition there. He is such a control freak, and he was a control freak from a young age. And, he, he you know, as Dale Beard, his high school teammate, his best man in his wedding, explained to me, I couldn't play my game. I had to play the way Magic wanted me to play, or I wasn't going to play. (laughs) Now, that wasn't just true of the players. The coaches of that team Mm -hmm. had to coach the way Magic needed them to coach. And he didn't say that to him. He controlled the whole thing with the way he played. And he changed coaching with that. And it factors into a lot of things. He is very much a control freak. I miss the campus bookstore. No, don't miss that. The books that cost $200? No, not the used ones. Okay, good luck. Look at this one. (laughs) The used ones. Good luck finding a used one. We had, I had all used ones. I'm the only one who needs this book. (laughs) 
No, they had like a whole, it was like from year to year. No, dude, people were buying up. That was the first shit to go. Yeah. Well, I guess I was in there early. (laughs) Nerd. We were sharing books. 